our Connect to Conversation on Regenerative Business. Um, I want to welcome our wonderful lineup of speakers and all of our listeners, those that are here right now, those of you who are listening on Facebook Live, and all of you who will be listening to the podcast and the replay. Um, Connectal is an ecosystem for connected work. It's a great place for conversations and connections to be made um, co-creatively. And if you'd like to find out more about Connectal, please visit the website, which is www connectal.com, uh, where we host regular conversations with connected people, organizations, and economies. And we'd love to have everybody join us um, in creating more ideas to talk about. So my name's Jenny Anderson. I'm from a company called We Activate the Future, and I'm your host today. So I'd just like to bring each of our special guests in and ask them to introduce themselves for a quick minute. Um, and at the same time, let us know what their area of interest in regenerative business is. So Daniel, can I start with you? Good morning. Um, yes, uh, my name is Daniel Wahl. I'm the author of a book called Designing Regenerative Cultures. And um, for all of you who have been following the recent um, news from the IPCC, we are now faced with um, an urgency of now of having to act because we haven't acted the last um, 10, 15, 20 years. And that means um, on the 50th birthday of the famous Earthrise picture, um, Earth rising over the horizon of the moon, and Buckminster Fuller's book, uh, Operation Manual for Spaceship Earth, it's time for us to really rethink how we impact the global system. And that means all of us. And that includes business. Business is driving um, to a large extent, the degenerative practices that are still active on the planet, but business has the capability of shifting towards regenerative practices. And so I'm really excited to be part of this uh, conversation because we need everyone. We don't have a lot of time left. Brilliant. I think that sets the scene very well for us. Ralph. Yeah, good morning, everyone. My name is Ralph. Um, I'm the managing director of Reporting 3.0. We have been looking at various areas of stagnation in reporting, accounting, data management, new business model design, and have been asking ourselves the question, how would we organize sort of transformation journey that is necessary to come to a green, inclusive and open economy? And in that, re regeneration plays a very important part. So I'm looking forward to share a little bit of what we're doing and how to place regeneration into that. Brilliant, and Zoe? Yes, good morning or good evening or uh, good whatever, uh, wherever you are. Uh, so I'm Zoe Legrand. I'm from Forum for the Future. We're a sustainable development nonprofit. Um, and my interest in this area really stems from um, the idea that net positive that, that businesses can go net positive and actually they can put back more than they take out um, from the environment and, and society. Um, I think it's a really exciting area. I think, as Daniel says, it's a really necessary area. We need people to be beginning to overcompensate for the impacts that they have in order to put us on a more sustainable footing. Thanks, Zoe. And John, our special guest from Interface. Hi there all and welcome. I'm John Koo, Innovation Partner at Interface. Now, as a business, we've been working hard to, to zero out our impact um, by the year 2020. But what we're realizing that with the, the challenge we face with climate change, mitigation is not enough. We actually need to do more good. And as a business, 
our new mission is called Climate Take Back, and that's to run our business in a way that reverses global warming. And I, I'm here to discuss the level of ambition that businesses need to have uh, to tackle the problems that we're facing. Okay, so I think we have set the scene for you know the global challenges that we face. Um, the challenges are climate change, the challenges of the future of food, which is another massive system that we need to shift. So um, let me ask you perhaps, you know, what, what do we think are um, the principles for a business to become regenerative? What are the things, you know, the key pillars that we have to look at that need to change? And Daniel, I think in your book, Designing Regenerative Cultures, you made some great summaries there. So I wonder if you could talk a little to that for us. Um, this being a webinar on regenerative business, I'm quite aware that there have been books written on regenerative business. Now, just briefly want to men mention Carol Sanford and also um, Gregory Landor and Ethan Rowland and their little book, uh, Regenerative Enterprises. For those who really want to dive into a principle-based approach, I would recommend you have a look at that. Um, I just want to give a general framing that for me, a regenerative business is a business that makes the business of regeneration its business. Um, in that sense, we need to build local and regional capacity for people to be playing an active part in the regeneration of healthy ecosystems, functions of the local and regional ecosystems within um, which a business is nested and located. And we also need to build capacity for social regeneration and economic regeneration. In my particular view on this, this comes, goes hand in hand with a re-regionalization of production and consumption. We are um, witnessing the necessity to shift out of fossil fuels for our energy and our material um, needs. And that means we need to shrink the material industrial cycle of the circular economy diagram and grow the biomaterial and bioproduction cycle. And this is a huge opportunity for regional innovation to shift towards a more um, biomaterials-based circular economy. And um, so basically what regeneration really tries to do is improve the whole system's health, social, ecological, and economic of the region that the system is embedded in. And it doesn't mean not being globally active. Um, I love the word global. The main action is local, but it needs to be globally coordinated. And in order to do this, um, businesses will have to be active in lobbying policy changes because right now the global policy system is stacked against um, re-regionalizing business. We need to look at hidden subsidies and hidden externalities in, in the global system to enable that. And in, in many ways, um, we want businesses to come on, on board to drive this change, but it's not going to, going to be easy. I'm really looking forward to hearing John speak about this from in, the interface perspective, because basically it is a fundamental reinvention of what business does. It's about decentralized manufacturing. It's about looking at how can our business net positively contribute to growing biomass in soils, growing the amount of standing forests, growing the amount of healthy watersheds, and um, take it step by step, which means regeneration is always about 
elegant solutions carefully adapted to the biocultural uniqueness of place, the essence of what people can do in their place with the opportunities and challenges that their region face, uh, faces. And by doing that, we can then build planetary health. So I think this notion of working for planetary health ecosystems restoration and regeneration goes very much hand in hand. And I could go on for much longer, but I'm curious to hear the other panelists. So I'll leave it at that. So, so one of the things that you're really focusing on there is, is the shift from globalization to uh, localization. But we have, uh, by and large, an enormous extent, the percentage of businesses that currently operate, particularly in a manufacturing capacity, in a global way. Um, so how, I, I'm interested to hear from our other panelists, how, how would we begin to shift back towards a more regionally regenerative approach? Um, yeah, so maybe I'll just chime in there. Um, so we, uh, I've, I run together with a couple of other NGOs, um, BSR and Shine, uh, a project uh, which brings together a number of businesses who all have net positive commitments. So they're all aiming to put back more than they take out. And I think this issue of um, doing that in a way which is locally appropriate um, has been really interesting. It's come up a lot this year in the work of the project because um, a lot of these businesses have got big global supply chains and they have these uh, kind of overarching commitments, but the way in which they have to deliver them has to be uh, working with their local partners, working with their supply chains and working with the kind of the local communities and the areas where they work. So, so take water, for instance, if you aim to be net positive in water, um, then you need to make sure that you are it's not it's not good enough to try and be uh try and clean up a watershed in one area while polluting a watershed in another and and if you produce more clean water in in the first watershed than the water you produce the, the water you pollute that doesn't mean that you are net positive that's 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 not an appropriate way to apply this concept so the way in which these businesses have been trying to um uh tackle it is by saying well you know when you if you isolate a kind of a watershed and you look at what is the, the water impact we're having there so I know that PepsiCo is something which that, that they're looking at saying okay you know let's let's look at the water that we're extracting within that watershed particularly let's look at what water is available is it a water scarce area is it a water scarce area in all time at all times of the year because that's another issue with water um, and then let's try and have an appropriate response to that where, the, where we do ultimately have a net positive impact on that watershed, um, but in a way which, which actually responds to the, the local needs of that particular landscape or that particular ecosystem. So just so that um, those um, listeners who might not be for, uh, familiar with Forum for the Future and the Net Positive Project, can you just say a little bit about the kind of companies that you're working with and what they're working towards? Yeah, sure. So um, that positive project has been going for a few years now and, and really came about because we collectively felt like it was a um, there was a real need to bring some robustness uh, to the concept of net positive. There are quite a lot of companies making net positive commitments, felt really excited by it. It felt like a step change in ambition and um, which was necessary, which was commensurate with the kind of challenge that we're facing. 
but we really wanted to see them deliver and we wanted to see them deliver to the environment and society in a way in which was robust and true to that concept. Um, so we're working with people like SIG, um, SIG CombiBlock, a uh, big packaging company. Um, there's quite a lot of tech partners involved as well, AT&T, Dell, um, some agricultural companies, uh, Fetzer Vineyards, for instance, in California. Um, also big retailers, Target, um, and some other organizations that are based in the States, uh, Eaton, Owens Corning, and Human Scale, who are all kind of, they all produce products, and they've taken a, a product-focused approach to their, their net positive um, ambition. Um, so really interesting group cross different sectors and um, bring up loads of different issues, but, but have this thing in common, which is that they all want to be net positive businesses. Brilliant, brilliant. And so jo John, you've been at, at, at Interface, um, very much involved at the kind of, if, to use a bit of a hackney phrase, sort of cutting edge of joining social and environmental purpose in an organization together. Um, you know, and so how did you get started on just, you know, becoming or looking at even becoming a regenerative business of, of following that principle of putting more back than you extract? I mean, for us, it goes back to our, our founder, Ray Anton, who in the 1990s realised the impact the company was having, but also realised the sphere of influence the business had to turn that around. If you take our networks project, um, which is a supply chain that takes discarded fishing nets um, from the Philippines, Cameroon, Indonesia, and transform them into materials for our products. That really started with the question, you know, what could a carpet tile have an impact as much on the environment as, as, much, as alongside inequality? So it's really taking a more systems-based view. I think with the, the growth of the UN Sustainable Development Goals, that's a much easier thing to do now than it was, say, in 2011. Um, and for us, we were trying to think, well, if we want to have an impact on inequality and the environment, who are the right partners? How do we get the right people around the table to, to test out a, a project? Um, I think one interesting thing we're going to get to is the contrast between the disruptors and also the... Um, the big companies, but I, I, I'd like to put out there that sometimes the smaller companies can be can be disruptive too. Um, so for us, it was about framing the right question and getting the right people around the table uh, to discuss it, and then finding a, a, a viable business proposition around it. And you know, when when you began, how you know for 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 a business that might just be at the starting edges of sustainability and only you've got so far as energy water waste um, you know how did the project come together because i know you work with uh, zsl for example you know it, it's really important to ask the right question but how would a company get to the point of even asking a question and then going out and finding the right collaborative um, pre-competitive partners in a way, and that's an issue I'd like to come back to. Um, so, so for us, it was having an employee base that were always willing to be entrepreneurial and challengers. Um, the concept I'd like to put in here is this concept of entrepreneurship. And when you have a, a company that has a mission, whether it's at the outset or it's had the 20 year track record, well, people want to push the boundaries. And in this case, we had an entrepreneur at the company called Miriam Turner, who, who wanted to push the fact that all our great work that we've done on the environmental side could have be done on the social side and could be done through our, our supply chain. 
Um, and the key question there is, as a company, are you willing to back your entrepreneurs to test out ideas? Um, are you willing to give them the right resources and tools to prototype? And are you willing to have that ambition to be a restorative business? And I think, that, to a certain extent, there's an internal push um, alongside external um, actors too, such as, as a forum and, and writers and students and, and, and a movement that's really growing. Ralph, I can see you want to say something there. Yeah, indeed. Uh, and uh, I was triggered by John's uh, comment about intrapreneurship. Um, I think when we look at how regeneration has been described and how it comes up locally, there is very often the idea this is through entrepreneurs coming into the field and trying to disrupt, um, let's say, the corporate thinking and the awareness. Whereas we also see that there are the entrepreneurs, um, and, and Ray Anderson is a wonderful example, um, really also um, developing this sort of awareness and culture that even after his death has, has actually survived, which is uh, surprising in a way, because in many companies, if you have a new CEO on board, that doesn't continue. And that, that also um, uh, is one of the backgrounds of the work that Reporting 3.0 is doing. And one of the things that we have been developing first for our own purpose, but then more and more also getting into the forefront of the discussion with, uh, with our sort of 6,000 people strong community now, um, was the idea of the strategy continuum, where you really look at um, what do you see in, uh, in corporations, how do they develop their strategies, and how can you maintain that understanding and awareness about what regeneration, for example, means. So when we look at it, and I would like to describe regeneration um, a bit more from, let's say, what's, what's around regeneration, so to better understand what it really adds, is, is that our strategy continuum goes from, uh, let's say, business as usual, to improving, to sustaining, to regenerating, and then to thriving. And um, when you look at um, the fact that everything that we say about sustainability is just in the middle of this continuum, it really has to do, and that's what, part of the awareness why we need regeneration, that the way how we actually um, orchestrated sustainability today in 99% of all companies is rather a comic version of sustainability. It's a strong redux from the original concept, which was, just to give you examples, it was about people, planet, and prosperity in the Brundtland report. It was really putting the human being in the middle of the discussion about how do, how, how do we as humans need to behave in order to have uh, planet Earth uh, serving us in the future. And that got very much um, out-engineered of um, corporate approaches to sustainability. It was all about policies and about management systems and about reporting and about assurance, all very technical stuff on the one hand. And one other thing which I want to mention is um, uh, a precondition of sustainability really is intergenerational equity. So that very well-known um, sentence that we know from the Brundtland report which says, you know, don't do anything that would re restrict further genera uh, generations to have the same opportunities like you have. Go to any company on this planet and ask them directly, well, what are you doing on intergenerational equity? And you hardly get an answer to that. It, also, that part has been out-engineered out of how companies are orchestrating sustainability in the, in the meanwhile. Now, that's the reason why in our strategy continuum, it only sits in the middle. It, 
it is just um, a quality that tries to ensure um, zero negative impact. But it doesn't lead or go to the other side where the real opportunity lies, and that is really regenerative business or thriving business. And so regeneration for us sits in between um, sustainable, as it is operationalized at this moment, and thriving on the other hand. And why thriving? And I know that Daniel and I, we have discussions about why using a new term. Um, it is just um, from our perspective that regeneration on the one hand, growing locally is great, but it also needs, um, um, needs to be embedded into something that is quickly scalable. And that means that within our corporate world at the moment, we need this awareness and this intrapreneurship, as John was mentioning it, uh, and that collective consciousness that that is actually necessary, which means we, the mother of all evil here is the changer of our economic system design and the incentives uh, structures in there. So from that perspective, it needs that extra push towards awareness and uh, corporate consciousness. We've been using a lot of spiral dynamic uh, aspects here. Integral theory comes into place and that boards really altogether understand why they need to actually do this. Um, it is still very much uh, confronting with the normal ROI of sustainability, which is a totally unfair question to anybody in sustainability to ask that question. And I would always answer, well, is survival not good enough as a business case? So from that perspective, regeneration really is very, very important um, as a step out of let's say, our redux of sustainability and moving into the, that area of thrivability. You know, I think you've touched on there, Ralph, so, I mean, many really, really important points. Um, but perhaps the most important point is the way in which business um, is designed to be very short term instead of very long term. Um, so that all of the incentives on whether it's shareholders or the financial markets or um, CEO remuneration tends to be very focused on the short term rather than the idea of intergenerational or seventh generation um, indigenous wisdom approach we take. Um, and that, that perhaps is one of the key pillars of regeneration um, or regenerative business is to understand how to move along that continuum and what models and what frameworks are available to business and to business leaders to help them. Daniel, I can see um, you'd like to um, give us some feedback on what Ralph just said there. I just wanted to, to highlight something that, that already popped up when John was speaking in terms of entrepreneurship. Um, the really one of the core things about working regeneratively is to build capacity within people. Um, because we can't always, it, it can't be the consultant or the, the, the hero coming in to save the business, the community, the country. Um, we need to build capacity among everybody. And, and that means that we need to, um, both within businesses and, and in, in wider networks of businesses, understand that we need to shift from competitive advantage to collaborative advantage. And we need to understand that people always earn in two economies. They need to earn in the economy of money to pay their bills and feed their family and all that. But really what keeps people in the job is that they earn in the economy of meaning. And I think if you did a study on retention time of people within Interface, you probably find people stay with Interface a lot longer than they stay with other companies because 
when you go to, to work with a company like that, you have at the end of the day, the feeling that you've actually contributed to something that is more than just paid your mortgage and paid your, your children's school fees. Um, it's vital to bring back this inspiration, this, this earning in the economy of meaning and what could be a bigger frame that we can come together under with all our diversity because we're, we're, we're ch challenged to redesign the human impact and presence on planet Earth within one generation. And if you just watch the news one evening, you know that to bring all our ramshackle bunch of, we call it humanity, but what's humane about how we're actually acting? We, we should understand humanity as a goal to aspire to rather than something we already have. But what is a bigger economy of meaning gain than to say, I am contributing to the regeneration of the health of local ecosystems, to the regeneration of the health of my local community and, and, and the social system I, I'm embedded in, and the regeneration of healthy, vibrant local economies that, or regional economies that give people meaning as they go to work. Um, I think this is, this is vital and it, it means that we, we need to always, this capacity building has to do with education, education of our children, education of our staff, education of our customers, education of the policy makers that are there to enable us to do our job. So um, I see that Ralph wants to contribute, so I'll, I'll keep it short. Yeah, yeah, I'll just, I'll just chime, chime in and I'm, I'm just echoing what you were saying, Daniel. I think what we now see is um, that we're sort of really in the middle of what we would call a chaotic zone. You, know, you have systems in place at the moment that are creating more chaos than order. And there is a new order uh, not yet fully embraced. And um, when we've been working with reporting 3.0, we've, we've been trying to find sort of the, 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 what's the triangle of failure here? And we call it the triple E failure. Um, there's a failure in our economic system design. Um, it's, it still thinks about the homo economicus uh, as you know, that artificial person that doesn't exist, very inhumane, by the way. Um, it, is, it, is, it is all um, uh, still based on the idea that we could externalize something. A very interesting word, by the way, because we cannot externalize from the planetary boundaries. We can only externalize into future generations, which we see from the global footprint. Uh, we think about something like, or we are fooled by ideas like trickle-down economics um, that have just bluntly totally failed. So our whole economic system design is is acting against us and Daniel you've been mentioning that as well and then we have the ecological failure as a consequence of that um, and and the global footprints are growing and things like migration start to happening and and then thirdly what you've been saying Daniel um, it's the educational failure you know, the, the whole way how education is built up today is just totally siloed and, and not collaborative. It creates competition, and that's exactly what we do not need. You know, that's this, everything that we do in Reporting 3.0, we call it pre-competitive and market making, because that is, I think, where we need to move towards. We've totally engineered competition out of everything that we do because it fails us. Um, to deliver on that overarching goal of regeneration and thriving. Uh, while at the same time, uh, what we hear very often, especially from corporations or others that we want to be important players in this, well, nobody asks for it. 
Um, so uh, from that perspective, it is, it, is, it is our common task here also as a group to show through the examples and the methodologies and tools and structures that uh, there, there is a huge opportunity on the other side of the redux of sustainability that we're, um, that, that we're busy with um, the whole time. And it always reminds me of that comic that I very often use where you have people with square wheels trying to get that wagon forward and somebody runs behind them with a round wheel uh, and these guys says, oh, sorry, too busy. Huh? And uh, we need to change that. So again, the educational perspective in this task is just immense. Uh, you know, I think that that notion of pre-competitive collaboration um, is a really important one because Forum, uh, Zoe, I think Forum for the Future is another, uh, along with Reporting 3.0, um, good example of how within business, pre-competitive, you know, you acting as a host for multiple different businesses who would have been trained for generations to think competitively to come together and so solve global challenges, whether that is plastic, whether it's the future of food. And so I'm kind of interested to hear from both you and John, you know, uh, from inside a, a, a company, how the people that you both work with, how they have successfully changed that mindset or what it takes to move from competitive to collaborative, because I think that's critical and key. Yeah, and I think I think often the first step um, for for an individual or an organisation um, in kind of moving to, to that space is to really shift from uh, and a sustainability approach where you kind of go, where are our biggest impacts? Uh, what is possible in the next five years? So, you know, we've got a big carbon impact. What's How, how can we reduce that? Well, we think 10%, 20%, that's probably possible in the next sort of five, 10 years. Great, that's our sustainability strategy sorted. Moving from, from that to thinking, what are the systems that we're actually reliant on as a business? So let's take, let's take SIG. So packaging manufacturing, um, they make um, cartons which are, are primarily made out of um, board um, so they said well what what systems are we actually reliant on we're reliant on uh, a, a forestry system to produce the board which our products are absolutely made on made of and so for our business to be sustainable into the future we need to make sure that there is a reliable and a certifiable uh, supply of boards and of forests and therefore, it's in our business's interests to support the system that we rely on and to ensure that there is a greater supply of FSC certified board. Um, and I think that, that by taking that sort of systems approach and to think, you know, our business is reliant upon systems, it's, we're not just having an impact on these. And um, I think that that helped them to move into a space where they had to collaborate with their value chain, they had to collaborate with other people, and they had to really build up and the FSC sort of certification and work with the NGOs who are, who are behind that. Um, and I think that that helped them then to, uh, to take that next step really on their sort of sustainability journey and to up their, their level of ambition. It, I, I read um, a brilliant article only yesterday about the transportation and freight industry um, that had taken that very similar systems approach, systems thinking approach to looking at the, uh, the freight industry into understanding that the way in business had uh, the, the business had approached that was to to continually break it down to deliver 
um, on an individual level because it offered the opportunity to make extraordinary profits. But if you wanted to actually change the impact of the freight and transportation system, you actually had to go back and look at um, the system within which transportation and freight exists in order to try and change it. Um, and so I think the systems thinking approach is another key and critical pillar perhaps of being able to move to a regenerative model for business. John, I think you've got something to bring in there. Yeah, I'm going to be a bit of a realist um, in that I think um, the, the fact is that this, this isn't easy. Um, as a company, we are publicly owned, we still look for, our shareholders still look for growth, um, which can make it tricky if we're looking at um, you know how we work alongside our competition. Now, the way that we have attacked that interface is to say, well, let's collaborate with the more unusual suspects. So, for networks, working with an NGO, working with our yarn supplier was a bit different. With Next Wave, working cross industry with your Dells, Trek, General Motors, as of yesterday, HP and IKEA, we're all doing very different things, but we found that's an easier way to be more agile because sometimes we found within our competitive market people they'll say yes we want to collaborate together and we want to move fast but then they make decisions such as lobbying against higher recycling rates in california which got us out lobbying and so one of the challenges and um, i mean four are very good at overcoming this but one of the challenges i see is when you're looking at how a sector moves forward that competition is still there. That 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 it can be a block on agility, and um, we need to overcome that due to the size of the problems that we face. But I just wanted to highlight that um, under the current economic model, uh, it is it's a tricky thing to do. It yeah, I, I think it I think it's enormously tricky, and I think one of the things in Daniel's book, and Daniel, I think you want to come in in a second here, that um, has really helped me in work with businesses is. Um, a framework called the Three Horizons um, uh, framework that helps organisations look at um, where they are on an innovation curve. Daniel, I don't know if you um, uh, can can um, elucidate on that a little further because I think that's one of the really interesting frameworks that's out there to help businesses. Well, let me just, uh, I already have my hand up before you brought the Three Horizons. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I think we really need to, um, like you mentioned earlier, it's about asking the right questions. And when I sat down to write my book, I asked myself, what can I write that, that will still be meaningful in 10, 15 years time? And, and I realized that so often today's solutions turn into tomorrow's problems. And we are today faced with um, the problems that were yesterday's solutions. So um, really asking the right questions is important. And that in terms of the this is understanding the systems nature of things. What John was speaking to, it really, um, at least we're now saying that we're in a fundamentally, like we need to fundamentally redesign our economic system and that the economic systems drivers are degenerative and therefore cannot produce sustainable or regenerative businesses in the future. But we're only saying it. It's, it's a fundamental change that that is very difficult to address. And to some extent, one of the things that really struck me when I read Regenerative Enterprises, um, that little book that you can download for free on the internet, is it speaks to designing for your own death. 
like if you create a company, then you need to design for its own dissolution into a collaborative network that then births the company that is right for that time in that transition. And I think that's enormously powerful because very few companies dare to think of that because your obligation to your shareholders is to keep going and to keep um, producing a return. And this is where, where, where Ralph could maybe speak to what kind of return, the, the concept of multi-capitalism. We're always focused on just financial capital return. And really, the, there's the return of inspiration, there's the return of social capital, and, and, and much more importantly, there's the return of natural or ecological systems functions that are the fundamental basis of value creation in any economy. And um, just speaking to one thing that Zoe mentioned earlier, giving an example, I think as we speak about this transition towards regenerative cultures, we need to also pay attention to not just building systems that regenerate our business capacity to have our resources. Of course, that's important. But this notion between instrumental, pragmatic value and intrinsic value, that, that life and healthy ecosystems have an intrinsic right to exist and are intrinsically meaningful. And that we, we actually, if we, if we don't go upstream enough and create a, a true shift in consciousness around this, then I don't think um, we will make the shift in time. And the, the awareness of being critically dependent on the planetary life support system and healthy ecosystems functions, not just for meeting our immediate physical and material needs, but for a much deeper nourishing of who we are of how we feel related to that wider community of life is critically important. And that, that really in, invites us to ask much deeper questions about why are we here, um, where are we going, and, and what kind of world is it that we want to create for that seventh yet unborn generation? Ralph. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Daniel. Um, I think I think when you when you look at <clears throat> where we are as humans um, and our upbringing, we've all been educated to be risk averse, and um, that pre prevents us to really uh, thinking in the way that we think uh, needs to be thought, and that is really thinking in ideations. So from our from our starting point at Reporting 3.0, we said we would do everything that is necessary that serves um, the completion of the idea of a green, inclusive, and open economy. Something that our world leaders had already decided in 2012, that that is what we want. Um, a green, inclusive, and open economy. The future we want, they called it. We're always joking a bit by saying, well, if we wait for that to happen, it will take forever. It's the future we design. So from that perspective, this idea of um, ideation of a green, inclusive, and open economy, and then backcasting, something that the natural step has actually taught us how to do that is very, very valuable. And the majority of people that we talk to are not able to, to do that. They're just not able to express the ideation of a green, inclusive and open economy and then, and then deliver on uh, what is necessary. We see that most people think in terms of what is either politically opportune at this moment or what is practically possible at this moment. Everything that we do is actually based on the idea we would only do things that are necessary 
uh, with that ideation of a green, inclusive and open economy in mind. And that is why we created this complete information infrastructure where we worked on four major pillars, these four blueprints that we have. And, that, uh, <clears throat> and just very quickly, not to take too much time, one of them is actually disclosure and reporting and how would that look if we truly had a green, inclusive and open economy and how would it be different to what we have right now? And I can tell you it's quite different. Um, and that is what we then um, give recommendations on. Um, a second thing that we've learned is that you want to leapfrog uh, towards that information infrastructure that, by the way, is necessary for all sorts of projects in, in regeneration and thriving in whatever area you want to call it. Um, something that is normally not very closely looked at um, is, is how would accounting need to change? You know, we now have a situation where everybody points with a finger to the next one and says, yeah, we would love to, but... Uh, so um, that ideation needs to have consequences. So accounting needs to change. A third thing that needs to change is the whole data infrastructure that we have. We now have data on the micro level, the company level, on the MISO level. We define that as industry or habitat or portfolio level, if you look at it from the uh, perspective of the financial markets. And then there's the, the macro perspective with GDP and all these leading indicators that are highly dangerous for sustainability. Um, and even those buckets of data don't speak to each other. So you need to create that sort of seamless flow between these three levels of information to actually enable us to say that something is sustainable or something is successful. One of the biggest problems now with the SDGs, for example, they have no clue how to aggregate from micro to meso to macro and backwards. Um, and lastly, and coming back to, to, to entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs again, we have used all that knowledge to then say, how would you then, if that would truly exist, how would you then design a business model? And we call it an integral business model design with its own set of principles, very much aligned with what uh, Daniel was already saying, and really looking into, um, into the way how things need to be done differently. Because the challenge here is, is that we're designing something for an an ideation, a green, inclusive and open economy, while a business model also needs to survive today. I think that is, that, that is the biggest challenge that we see at this moment that holds people back to really invest time into regeneration and thriving. Um, and that is where Reporting 3.0 with all its blueprints wants to make the necessary or al allow that necessary um, infrastructure uh, to be available in order to make all of what's happening in all of these projects and all these areas really a success. Without that, I, I doubt we will get there. And I think that is the key challenge in moving towards a more regenerative business model is is you know how that there are many different kinds of companies in many different stages of that that journey towards being regenerative or net positive and it's it, it seems historically from what i can see to be very difficult for companies that are perhaps on the beginning of that journey who are what i would just call just about sustainable um, to move through, perhaps it would be the circular economy. Um, if they're in a, a manufacturing environment, perhaps it would be a, a, a adding net positive to circularity. Um, perhaps it would be changing the internal culture. It is that there are many different stages that a company needs to go to to reach the 
I don't want to use the word utopia because that's the wrong word, but to reach um, a, a point where businesses truly are operating in a regenerative way. And there are many different models, I think, that help businesses take that first step or second step or third step. Um, the net positive um, uh, project at Forum is one, the SDGs might be another. And I know Ralph, you know, we've had a lot of discussions and disagreements about the effectiveness of the SDGs. Um, but there are lots of different models out there. B Corporation is another model. Um, uh, there, you know, there are many different ways of making that transition, but sometimes it's very hard for a given organization to, to, to make those different steps. Um, you know, and it, it, I think we have to find ways to all work together and accept that there may be companies that can't come along as fast as we need to and ones that we need to put pressure on to come along uh, faster, I think. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm taking up the airtime now, Zoe. Um, yeah, no, so in fact, just building on, on something that you just mentioned and actually also sort of responding to a point that, that John made that the businesses are, are still locked in the paradigm of delivering shareholder value or a lot of businesses are. Um, and, you know, there are going to be a lot of people outside of the sustainability community who would feel like, well, you know, the business of business is business. It's the, it's the fiduciary duty of businesses to deliver money to shareholders. Um, that's why they exist. Um, and I, so I think I think what's interesting, the, the trend which we're watching at the moment, which I find really interesting, is, is the B Corporation kind of movement. So B Corporation, there's two elements to it. There's the certification side. So you can become a, a B Corporation um, by, by meeting a certain standard of sustainability. Um, but the other side of it, I think, is really interesting, which is the, the kind of legal framework behind it. So mm. you can become a benefit corporation, which means that you are obliged to deliver value not just to your shareholders although that's still important but also to society and the environment as kind of equal stakeholders and i think that it's a really interesting model which tries to kind of use the the mechanisms or the levers that we have currently at our disposal um which will help them to shift towards the kind of green inclusive economy that ralph was talking about um, but it's kind of it's 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 looking at what is that transition from where we are now to where we want to be, and trying to use the levers which are available in order to make that transition. Um, and I think it's a it's a really interesting example. Um, and I, I mean, I don't know I, I don't know whether John w would like to share anything, but I'd be kind of interesting to know of any reflections that John might have, particularly about whether that's something which interface is kind of considered or, or something that would be relevant, or or perhaps it's 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 not in your agenda at the moment, which is also fine. <laughs> And so from my, my perspective, it's something we have looked at and I think we continue to monitor. I think um, I'm really curious to see what what happens with Danone and what happens with Unilever on their B Corp journey. And then I, I don't know, I'm going to stick out of turn of the company for a second. I, I, I would also, I'm just curious to question whether the share side alongside having a society and environmental, whether that's too iterative. And I, and if I'm saying that something that VCOL is doing is too iterative, that's concerning me, but I find it, speaking out of turn, maybe, I mean, it's, it's not the bold change that we're, we're discussing, uh, that Ralph and Daniel are discussing, um, but that's not an official interface position, that's my personal opinion. Um, but I, I think for us as a business, it's, it's one where we're, we're watching. I think what makes us make the decision about whether to join or not is, in our sphere of influence, in what we make and what we do, 
how can we be most agile to achieve our social and environmental goals? And at the moment, um, that's not the path that we choose, but I, I certainly think it's one that we'll be looking at continually um, for the next couple of years, and I would urge other businesses to do the same. Oh, I think Jenny, you're on mute. As we're coming to the top of the hour, I just want to flag that there are some really interesting questions coming um, from uh, the, the, the people who are listening to us. And I just want to see if any of them would like to come on and put their questions forward to you. And if, if not, I might just do that for them. Um, do, do, we, do we know if anybody would like to actually come on? Okay, so, so I, I'm going to just flag up here, there are a couple of really interesting questions. Um, one which is uh, directed towards you, Ralph, planetary crisis has no boundaries. Is industrial corporation appropriate type of entity to operate in that context because it's siloed by default? What would be a more appropriate organisational structure, in your opinion? Um, and then also a lot of discussion going on in the box about the, 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 the tension between uh, corporate action and grassroots movement and learning, uh, education, politics, putting pressure on the system from, from below. So I'd just like to invite all of the panellists as we go towards the top of the hour to, to, to come back on those two key trends that are going on in the chat box. Daniel. Yeah. Um, Ralph, do you want to go first? Yeah, I, I can. The first question was addressed to me, and uh, I just want to remind us of that, you know, uh, in the 1850s, we've created another human being called the corporation. And while we are, as humans, totally responsible for everything we do, uh, we gave it the status of uh, limited liability. Um, that is the biggest weaving thought that we have ever done as human beings. Uh, allowing um, this to happen. Uh, and then Zoe was, was using, of course, words like uh, fiduciary duty, like shareholders, like stakeholders, and so on. And <clears throat> what we see in consequence that, that, that all of these theories are, are a continuation of the flaw. For, uh, and I want, just want to mention the example of stakeholders. Um, you know, companies nowadays think um, stakeholders are those that have declared a stake to them which leads most of humanity out of the picture. Um, and that also reduces the sort of uh, sphere of influence and is also supported by limited liability. So from our perspective at Reporting 3.0, we've thrown stakeholder and stakeholder inclusiveness totally out of the window and um, introduced the concept of rights holdership, where we say you will actually need to have that to understand what your duties and obligations of your existence as an organization are. Uh, and then following from that, we have various concepts where we say, um, normally companies then come to us and say, oh, it's also complex and it's not as easy as you think. And where we say, well, um, we wanna come back to something more simple and we will call it sim simplicity. So we are asking just three yes or no questions to corporations, which I think they need to answer in the future to um, explain their right to exist. One is, um, can you tell me that any performance of your organization is actually sustainable? Yes or no? 
And for that, one of the big missing pieces that we have right now is thresholds and allocations and bring that into the perspective of a sustainability indicator where we actually measure the actual performance um, of an organization against uh, those thresholds and allocations. As long as corporations are stubborn and don't want to accept that this is part of their duties and obligations, um, this is a very highly dangerous form of existence as a limited liability. Uh, so the second one that we introduce is the question, um, uh, which really is a question about defining what success really means in a regenerative and thriving economy. And that is a very simple litmus test. We are asking, are you building financial capital on the back of any other capital? Yes or no? If you say yes, um, then you might not be yet there. You still have homework to do. If you say no, then per se, from a success perspective and from the measurement around that, you are sustainable. And thirdly, we say it's not just about your products and services that you offer. Are you able to educate, um, um, uh, collaborate, and advocate for an economic system boundaries change? Yes or no? I think these are the three crucial questions that we want companies to learn about and answer them with the help of the whole portfolio of things that, that we have. So to answer the, the question, I think the limited liability corporation, from my perspective, is dangerous when it comes to sustainability because all of the side effects and rebound effects that it has created, and we see that it's not, not working. I like the idea of B corporations much more. I like the idea of, uh, of co uh, co cooperatives on a whole range of different issues to be an alternative for that. Uh, it just simply sets straight what the duties and obligations of any form of collaboration are, and uh, in my view, are absolutely necessary. Daniel. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm aware that you asked me earlier on about the Three Horizon model, and I think that it, it fits in here in the sense that, let me be specific, I'm talking about the International Futures Forum Three Horizons model and not the McKinsey model. Um, ba basically, the, we are now faced with such a huge transformation ahead that we need the wisdom of many perspectives on the future. And what the Three Horizon model offers is it gives value to the model of, like to the perspective of, of the, the business CEO whose responsibility it is to keep the lights on and people in jobs and, and the, the, the business, business moving forward. Um, it gives value to the disruptive innovator entrepreneur that says, we've already got technologies that could take us along this path. Um, and in that second horizon, we like to distinguish between those kind of innovations that look disruptive in the first place, but then actually get captured by business as usual and support business as usual running longer. And it needs to also give um, value to the perspective of the visionary, um, the, the, the long range, viable, regenerative future perspective of how do we create a world that works for all and the community of life. And what the Three Horizon model does in a very practical way that you can run through in a day with a very diverse group of rights holders um, or, or people who um, care about doing this is that it helps you to map out the, the different perspectives and it invites you to say, what would this perspective be from an open mindset? where you say, okay, I need to hold this position because of the role I'm in, 
and I see the value of all the other positions rather than keep fighting against the other perspectives. And, and in doing so, we, we end up um, unlocking potential. And really that's in many ways what regenerative development is also about. It is about unlocking potential, the potential for us to reconcile seeming polarities and opposites to a higher level of um, synthesis and, and um, a, a synergy that comes together as we build a whole that is more than the sum of its parts. And um, this sounds theoretical, but I've seen it in action in a lot of industries. And it's, it's a very practical framework to explore transformative change because right now, disruptive innovation isn't going to cut it. We really need transformative innovation. We really need to fundamentally redesign the human presence on Earth, as I said before. And, and these kind of conversations, particularly with this wide range of panelists, are part of that, seeding new ways of thinking and doing that is vital if we want to have a 22nd century. Uh, well, I, you know, this has been uh, uh, such, such a rich discussion. I'm, I, I'm not even entirely sure we should stop. We should probably continue, but we, we have to stop at the top of the hour. So um, I just want to ask each of you if you could perhaps just wrap up in, in 60 seconds, what you think if you had to pick one thing that was really important for businesses to think about in terms of becoming, making their next move towards being regenerative or a model, what would it be? Um, uh, so let me start with you, Daniel. Uh, I'll pass to Ralph because I need to pass think about <laughs> It's a big question. Well, my, my answer is simple. Talk to your children because it has been the main motivation for me of what I'm doing. I'm looking into these eyes uh, with these questions that say, what the heck have you done? And, or earlier generations, and what are you going to do for the rest of your life uh, to make the world a better place? Because we inherit this from you. So I think they have the right to ask this question. And of course, my kids are a bit more biased um, because I'm their father and they've heard me complaining a lot, <laughs> although I try to keep my positive maverick attitude. Um, still, still, I'm always surprised when I talk to leaders that ask about the business case or the ROI of sustainability as if none of them had kids. And I'm just simply say, look into the faces of your kids and those questions need to evaporate. I think that's a brilliant answer, Zoe. Um, so I think I would say, uh, taking more of a business perspective, I suppose, um, a, a slightly less of a personal one, um, but what I would advise uh, businesses to do is to kind of, to try and move beyond just thinking about where your impacts lie and to really think about what are the systems that you rely on. So if that's, you know, plastics or if that's uh, forestry, um, think about what needs to happen in those systems and then think about what your role is in changing them. Um, because I think that by changing that perspective, um, you'll, you'll be able to take the actions which are much more kind of appropriate for your company, which make a bigger difference to those systems. Um, and I think that, that by shifting that mindset away from our business is an island, we need to look at, at how we can just reduce just our own impacts and trying to think broadly across the system um, I think that that shift will be
begin to to move us onto a, a mindset which is is more impactful uh, on the world. Thank you, Zoe. John. For me, this is a great opportunity for businesses to look inward and understand what their sphere of influence is and what it can. Um, I think the most important thing a business can do is to, to listen to its uh, stakeholders, to mentors, um, outside the business, um, to communities. I think we're really seeing that at the moment in the UK with plastics. Businesses cannot ignore that issue at the moment. Um, and then from that, and have a really honest discussion, which is not going to be an easy one, work out how you are going to do well by doing good and be part of a, a regenerative future. Thanks, John. And then lastly, Daniel, now you've had time to think. Thank you. Um, I think I would ask both the CEO, the staff, the customers, what can this business do to help people fall in love with this beautiful planet and each other a little more deeply? Because way upstream, that's what it's all about. Understanding that we are fundamentally connected and interdependent, that we don't live in a world that separates us from each other and therefore make, makes us compete against each other, that we can create collaborative abundance. And I think Janine Benyus um, from the Biomimicry 3.8 movement put it wonderfully when, when she sums up the lessons from nature or learning as, to design as nature, that life creates conditions conducive to life. And we need to fall in love with the beauty and abundance of this planet in order to ask the deeper question, how can this business create conditions conducive to life? And I think that is probably the most appropriate thought for us to, to, to end on. We've covered so much in this hour and we've got so much more that we could cover. Um, but I want to thank all of our guests that came along today. Thank you very much to Daniel, Ralph, Zoe and John, who um, boldly leapt into this conversation um, at, at my request. I want to thank you very much for coming on. Um, I'd like to um, remind uh, those uh, viewers that we have a second conversation happening on November the 6th, which is very much more about the people approach and the cultural approach into business design, regenerative business design, that we're going to carry on that conversation from the people perspective, and that's on November the 6th. Um, but for today, we've covered uh, the need for different legal models. We've covered the importance of a multi-capitalist approach. We've covered the importance of thinking in a pre-competitive way. We've covered bioregionalism. We've covered the need to put humanity back at the center of business alongside and in partnership with nature. Um, and, and I think lastly, uh, what Daniel had to say is we, we need to put love um, for our planet and for ourselves back into the equation. So thank you very much to all my guests. Thank you to Connector for hosting us um, and look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>